And let's go now, though, to Iceland, where new research has revealed the magma in the erupting volcano chain peaked at an unprecedented flow rate of 7,400 cubic metres per second. You'll remember that in November 2023, magma began to rapidly build under the town of Grindjavik, causing widespread damage. The area was also evacuated. Now, since then, the volcanic chain has erupted three times, most recently as last week, spilling lava across the Reykjanes Peninsula. Now, authors of this new study says that this demonstrates serious potential for further volcanic eruptions. One of the researchers, Dr Greg de Pascal, is an associate professor of geology at the University of Iceland. He spoke to Saturday morning in November and he's with us again today. Kia ora, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Um, your research that came out just a few days ago is pretty astonishing. Um Give us an outline of what you were studying and what you found. Right. So when we spoke last in November, there was a sequence of, of earthquakes and essentially the, the, the plate boundary is an extensional plate boundary. So the plates being ripped apart. And during these earthquakes, there were a number of faults that moved and accommodated that deformation. And so a rift valley was forming right underneath and within this town of Grindavik. And we think simultaneous with this opening, we actually had a, a an injection of magma in the ground that was flowing at a, an incredibly fast rate with a very high volume of magma. And you mentioned the numbers earlier, but to put it in some context, the, the highest flow rate river in New Zealand's Aklutha, which is about 600 meters cubed per second. And as you mentioned before, we had about 7,400 and if you look, you can actually add all of the flow rates in terms of meters cubed per second of all the top 10 rivers in NZ. And it's still less than the flow rate we were getting with this injection of magma underneath the town of Grindavik. It's pretty astonishing just to try to get your head around how, how big and how fast that is. Um, what does this all mean for the area? So essentially this area had... You know, there are people living in Iceland for over a thousand years. And the last time this area was really active was around 800 years ago. And there were 200 years of unrest and they called the the, the fires. And so there's 200 years where you could look in the area and you'd always see volcanic cones and ash and tephra and lava flows occurring. And then there was 800 years of um, of nothing. No, no eruptions in this part of Iceland. Other parts of Iceland had eruptions. And so this started up a few years ago, and now there there were three eruptions prior to this event in Grindavik, and these took place essentially in, in the middle of, of nowhere, far from people's homes, far from infrastructure, and some of us lovingly refer to them as tourist events, because you could show up and you could watch, you know, young rock being formed at the surface and watch the lava flow, and it was beautiful. But this event in Grindavik was was different. It's no longer a tourist event where suddenly you have infrastructure, homes, um, businesses, the economy is being affected. And in some ways, it's a similar situation to what happened in, in Christchurch during the Canterbury earthquakes. I was living there, did my PhD at University of Canterbury. And, you know, the whole discussion about red zoning homes and, you know, whether EQC will pay for it. These same discussions have been taking place in Iceland because it's it's fairly clear to the experts that a lot of these homes that are located along fault lines and uh, 
have been damaged irreparably and it's no longer safe to be there at the same time the last um the eruption that occurred in december uh some of the cracks that formed in november were actually uh, pathways for this magma to come to the surface and there were lava flows that came right into the town and started burning houses so it's known that there's this hazard um, we had a an eruption last week the flow rates were incredibly fast and it was the first time that started hitting regional infrastructure so there were lava flows that was tr they were traveling around uh, a kilometer per hour which doesn't sound very fast we can walk faster than that but there's a lot of critical infrastructure there's geothermal power plants that are not that different from some of the power plants in the north island and these um these distribute both hot water um, because a lot of the homes, most of the homes in Iceland are heated through regional hot water supply. So basically, these large diameter pipes pump hot water and the hot water heat up um, radiators in people's homes. And this lava flow took out one of these pipes that actually heats about 30,000 people's homes. And it was minus 10 degrees that day when this happened. So the consequences were very extreme. It also stressed out the electric system. So there was electricity out for around the same number of people. And so we're seeing these kind of multi-hazard spillovers that are occurring from the lava taking out hot hot water, then taking out electricity. And it's, it's a very um, stressful situation for everyone involved, not just the public, but the scientific community is working really hard and search and rescue and police. And the, the driving force of all this is this kind of deep magma that's coming up from the plate boundary and we can observe that through some of our geophysical techniques We observe it through GPS stations that are distributed around the area. And these GPS stations are all moving up. And this is moving up due to the inflation and the, the basically the, the inflation of the as the magma starts coming up and, and the ground inflates upwards like a balloon. So it's a it's a it's a stressful time. And we're, we're trying to figure out what's going to happen next. But we believe the next eruption will probably take place around the first of the month, so with less than a couple of weeks from now. I was going to ask you what the next likely happening was, and I know you're not particularly in the in the business of prediction, unfortunately. But um, no. you know, if this lava is accumulating and it and it is doing so in um, such a fast and uh, you know clearly observable way, what does that tell us about? the plates that are being pulled apart and and what does happen and how quickly yeah so there's there's kind of deep geology questions you know if we look at places around the planet we we can have similar um evidence of these these dikes we refer to the these these underground rivers of of magma after they cool and and become rock we refer to them as dikes and some of these dikes can be several hundred kilometers long in the geologic record. And we, so we think our study helps gives us a little bit of an indication of what kind of um, environment was required to potentially generate these, you know, fast flowing, long distance um, intrusions of, of magma. So that's that's kind of an exciting, deep understanding of our of our study. But then there's the the nuts and bolts of okay the we've had six eruptions in since in the last three years and we're seeing that 
essentially this inflation takes place. We can observe it from satellites. So basically the ground starts getting closer to the satellites. So the distance between the satellite and the ground is lessened and we know that the ground's inflating. And then we see the GPS stations going up. But then as soon as the eruption starts, it's like picking the top, you know, it's um, it's like puncturing the top of a balloon. It starts deflating. And as the magma comes up, the ground deflates. And at some point, the pressure in the system is reduced. The lava flow stops. The eruption stops. You know, the lava still remains very, very hot for weeks and months and sometimes years, especially, you know, a meter or two below the surface. But then almost immediately after, we start seeing this uplift signal reoccurring. And so this has been happening over the last couple of years that we see this this uplift occurring. So now we're just we're looking at the situation and thinking, okay, what can we do to make society more resilient? How do we create um, additional um, routes to retreat? Right? If there's people and infrastructure in the area, uh, how can we make resiliency in hot water pipelines and energy, et cetera? But it's it's very short short term. The town of Grindavik has been completely evacuated. There's no one living there. So that's a, a really good thing um, to reduce the risk. But um, it's really just telling us that, I guess, getting back to your original question, that these systems, they tend to be quiet for long periods of time. But once they start going, it seems like they just go. And that's exciting as a scientist. But it's also you know terrifying when you start seeing the impacts when it starts affecting infrastructure um it, it kind of reminds me of places like the the hikarangi subduction zone which is just to the you know east of the north island it seems to sit quiet for a couple hundred 300 400 years and then there's one of these huge earthquakes that probably generates a huge tsunami and has a whole bunch of detrimental effects um around the eastern side of of new zealand so it just shows that it, over geologic time, sometimes it takes time for these systems to build up stress. But once they start going, the consequences are, are huge. Yes, indeed, the consequences are huge. And of course, the lava is not the only problem here. This has come with thousands of earthquakes alongside. Yeah, that's right. So what's been interesting with that is that the the, the prior events had lots and lots of earthquakes. You know, they'd wake you up in the middle of the night. It felt like being back in Canterbury in 2010, 2011. 2012 but this last event there was um and so basically these earthquakes are when the magma is migrating its way up to the surface it's fracturing rock right the heat of the magma is so hot that it's fracturing rock and generating earthquakes and causing stress perturbations which are allowing these you know small fault lines to move but in the last event it only took about 30 minutes between when the first earthquake was registered to when there was actual lava at the surface, lava you know flowing out of the ground, magma flowing out of the ground, flowing as 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 lava. So we don't have this warning signal anymore. And part of this, we're, we're you know this is a real time event. We haven't really had one of these since we have modern observational techniques, etc. But what we're starting to see is that we think that because these cracks have formed, because the systems open, so to speak. Now it's it's easy. The magma has all these new pathways from the plate splitting apart. The earthquakes released a lot of stress in the system, so it's it's more or less relaxed in a relative sense. And it, it it's faster, and so there's a less a lot less warning signal. Um I haven't been awoken from an earthquake in in a while. 
Nonetheless, though, the Earth's crust is pulling apart. Um, You know, it's literally being reformed right in front of your eyes. And what does that mean for the area? Is it likely to be habitable again anytime soon? Yeah, I mean... Iceland would would not be, you know, Iceland's an island in in the North Atlantic and it wouldn't be there. I wouldn't be standing on solid ground. I'd be in a boat or something if it wasn't for all the eruptions. So it's a volcanic island. Um, It's beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful, beautiful places in the world. There's a lot of similarities between New Zealand and Iceland. Highly encourage Kiwis to come visit and for Icelanders to go to New Zealand. Um, And this has been these processes have been going on for, you know, 15 million years maybe 18 million years we think is some of the first eruptions which created the island which we now know as iceland um it is still localized fortunately some of the events haven't been too close to the capital um the fishing village of grindavik of course you know i have i have friends and and acquaintances and colleagues that have lived there and the economy in that area has been affected in a huge way uh, one of the largest uh, tourist destinations in Iceland is called the Blue Lagoon, and it's this geothermal um, hot spring, which basically uses the hot water from the geothermal plant, and it has this like, beautiful um, kind of gray mud. And everyone that goes to Iceland goes and visits it, and it's this beautiful place. You stand outside, and it can be snowing out. And this place has been closed on and off because of the eruptions. So this has a direct effect on the GDP of, of the economy of Iceland. So there are, there are severe consequences, but it's not as severe as, you know, say the Taupo volcanic blows up or one of the super volcanoes we have on this planet blowing its head that could have a huge consequence on agriculture and everything else. Indeed, it is going to be fascinating to watch. And I mean, from a scientific point of view, this kind of stuff is brilliant. This is extraordinary because you're getting to witness it in real time. Yeah, I felt really lucky. I mean, I I moved to New Zealand right before the Canterbury earthquakes and it was horrifying and exciting at the same time, right? You get to see things that are in textbooks happening in real time Mm. in your face. And it's an exciting place to see you know, it was it was great to see all the tourists so excited about seeing lava flows when it, when they were tourist events. But seeing the lava rushing across, burning a road, and then hitting the hot water pipes, and seeing the hot water pipes explode and shoot all the steam into the air—I mean, that you start feeling the consequence of that because you go to your home and you think, well, what happens when, as a number of you know thirty thousand people experience for a few days, what happens when the power goes off, when the mm. heat goes off? And when it's minus 10 outside, it's it gets cold. So It sure does. And pretty quickly. Look, thank you very much for your time and for talking to us this morning. That is Dr. Greg de Pascal, an Associate Professor of Geology at the University of Iceland, talking to us about this latest research into the volcano that is continuing to erupt over there, started in November and still going now.